Hello and welcome to the Emperor's New Podcast, where we discuss every corner of the Emperor's New Groove franchise. Joining me today is my special guest, dgill2295 from Twitter. Hello there. And today we'll be discussing Kronk's New Groove. But first, I want to ask you, what is your background with this franchise? Like, how are you familiar with it? Oh, the Emperor's New Groove. I, uh, um, I'm a 90s kid. I was born in 1995, I was born in so I was, uh, oh, cool. It's actually one of my earliest theatrical memories is going to the theaters in the year 2000 to watch Dinosaur. So I'm very, I'm very much well-versed in Disney and especially during the experimental era, which is right where the Emperor's New Groove came yeah. in. And I... I watched it a lot on DVD growing up, and I'd say it's, you know, a very solid, very funny movie. I just, I, and I, I just can't be certain whether or not it's my favorite Disney movie of 2000, because there's a lot of competition, mm-hmm. and I, I'm just not sure how well I can just um, separate my subjective feelings on them, because... I know not a lot of people love Dinosaur, but it's just one of my first theatrical memories, so it just has uh, that much value to me. But Emperor's New Groove is such a such a funny movie. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm not sure if you remember the uh, first DVD for it. It came in just this enormous two-disc... Two-disc... It wasn't really a box set, but it was just this really thick DVD case that opened up one side... It was the movie, and the other side, it was all the bonus. Yeah, features. I actually do not have that, but I am aware of it. It's uh, I, I actually have a couple of movies. This was just when Disney was throwing their hat into the ring for DVD. Yeah, so they have all of these uh, huge cases for Snow White and for Dinosaur. And uh, they did these huge box sets for Fantasia and Toy Story. And... I just think it's so, it's just so cool to just crack that open and just feel, oh, nostalgia again. Yeah. <laughs> so you had not seen Kronk's New Group before. I had not. Um, all the way up to this today, the only um, knowledge I had about Kronk's New Groove was the very short preview on a few DVDs that we had. Mm-hmm. And it was just, um, it just really showed Kronk doing his... Uh, Kronk thing, you know, uh, making uh, food at Mudka's Meat Hut and talking to Bucky and just being the um, the uh, lovable doofus that we all know and love. But I don't know, there was just something about the opening um, part of the trailer where it was the annoying 2000s voice caster guy. What do you get with a guy who's big on biceps? Yeah. <laughs> And small on brain cell, it's just like, what is this? It, it, I, I just very much did not want to, um, I didn't want to watch it. It just didn't look all that yeah, good. That's um, pretty. That's pretty much the thing with the all of the direct video sequels from back then. They all, yeah, it, it were pretty dark. Eh, at best. This. If I'm not mistaken, if uh, Disney Plus is to be believed, this came out in 2005, so it's just peak Disney DVD sequel. And so um, I just didn't really give all that much 
thought is that, oh, it's just an Emperor's New Groove sequel on DVD. It's probably not going to be all that good. And, of course, the big warning sign was that it was, it was being marketed as a big spinoff featuring the comedic sidekick. And those really didn't, um, especially back yeah. then, they were just uh, a telltale warning sign of it not being as good. It really took Disney until about finding Dory to really get that right. Yeah. So now that you've seen the movie, what are some things that that stuck out to you or that you noticed that gave you any opinions any which way about the movie? <laughs> I actually have uh, more than a few pages of notes on, on this one. A couple of them are like, you know, small gags and, and yeah. stuff like that. But uh, overall thoughts, I was actually really surprised with this one. It's it's pretty good. As far as the as far as the direct video sequels go, and I've seen only a few of them, but of the ones I've seen, it's better than most of the ones I've seen. It's not probably not the best, but it's certainly far, far, far from the worst I've seen. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I've probably seen a little more than you have, and there's a lot of crap yeah. in there. Believe you me. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I can, can hear, hear you. Okay. Yeah. A lot of crap to go through in there, but um, I don't know. Just just thinking about Kronk's new groove, it stands out by all of them by being good. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think about Kronk's whole backstory with his father and seeking the big thumbs up from Poppy? Oh, I, that's actually probably the secret ingredient to this movie's success is that Kronk's backstory is just so heartfelt and so relatable. You're just like, wow, this movie made me care about Kronk. Yeah. I mean, I, I still haven't cried at a movie yet, but I got a little teary. I'm just looking at little baby Kronk, just like face planting on the bed, just like, oh, poor little guy. Yeah. We must protect the little Kronk. Yeah. <laughs> I really think it adds to um, understanding why he's so. Um, docile and why he's so he so easy to um, easy to he wants to please everyone so that under that kind of explains yeah. why he's so quick to work for Isma and stuff that and it's a kid I mean be honest you'd you'd take an internship with her yeah. kid any day yeah <laughs> what did you think of her song in the movie oh it was so good to not only have Eartha kit back but to give her a proper um Disney villain-esque song that, that was just so fun and it wasn't really like any others because she doesn't really reveal much of a plot it's sort of uh, Harold Hill uh, snake yeah. oil um, snake oil sales pitch kind of song and it just really fit um, Yzma and it was just super fun and um, and the few musical numbers that there were you could tell the animators had a ton of fun animating everything. Yeah, and that's one thing about um, this one that stands out from some of the other sequels. The animation isn't isn't bad either, and a lot of the it's it's yeah. not as good as the original. But um, how is it going to be? It's not the same studio, but compared right. to something like Hunchback too, <laughs> it's much <clears throat> better. Loads better. That's probably the first thing I noticed. It's actually one of the first things in my notes there. Let's see. Uh, yeah, the animation is surprisingly good. I think that was just a thing of the later years of 
Disney tune where they did like Lion King one and a half and even like the Little Mermaid three and Cinderella three, the animation improved a lot at the end of the mm-hmm. era. I'd even throw Fox and the Hound two in that ring because um, it's still you you probably don't know this, but Fox and the Hound two is the worst direct video sequel that I have I've seen. Heard, it yeah. is awful. Yeah. I've heard that- but the animation is not. Is the fox and the hound join a band, right? Uh, not even that. It's it's just copper in a band. Well, how how can you have a fox and the hound and just have the hound? Well, Todd is there too. He's just you know in other. He's just doing other shenanigans. He's like being like the the groupie to the, or the roadie to the band, just okay. like uh, washing up dishes afterward and just like uh, this. Uh, that sounds very strange, and not like. It really not like is. consistently strange with the first movie, like I'd argue, um, this is. Because mm. one thing I want to bring up that I found out, so some well, the director said something, and what they were complaining about was a valid complaint. They were complaining about the micromanagement at Disney Toon Studios and how they didn't want. They wanted a very specific thing, and they didn't want the creators to go off and do their own thing, which is a reasonable gripe. The thing that kind of gets me though is the director's. The go-to example they used that they were complaining about is, I don't know. I think this is a stupid idea. I don't think we should have a cheerleading camp in ancient Peru. And, <laughs> and I'm like, with the, in the first movie, the guy wanted to build a water park. So, and in this movie, you have constant shoulder angel demons and the most British scout camp counselor of all time. And that's where you're going to draw the line. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting... <laughs> tidbit from behind the scenes that I have mixed feelings about. Yeah, kind of. What were some of the gags you really liked in the film? Uh, let's see. Um, during the uh, opening, just sort of the immediate uh, joke of the cheese explosion and uh, it's just sort of enough to tell you what kind of uh, movie you're about to start up in. Yeah. And um Honestly, if there was a weak point to the movie's comedy, it's the jokes that they bring back that's, from Empire That's the weak group. point to the whole franchise, really. They do that a lot. Yeah, um, I haven't seen that much of New School, but uh, uh, only a couple of episodes ran on uh, on Disney Channel every now and then. But um, yeah, that, that is sort of a running theme of the franchise. Yeah, they really are their strongest when they're trying to do their own thing in the spirit of the original movie. When yes. they try to bring back jokes. Sometimes in the TV show, they'll bring back a joke, but they'll like be a twist on it and it'll be funny. But when they play them straight completely, it's not like... The only thing that remotely comes close to working as a running gag is the lever thing, because that was sort of a running gag even within the movie. Yeah, pull the lever will never not be funny. Yeah. But everything else, like, they really wanted to make, oh, yeah, it's all come together into a catchphrase in this movie, I feel like. Yeah, that didn't quite work. Um, going back to what you said about uh, a joke from the original but told in a different way, probably my favorite example of that was just the smash cut to uh, after the cheese explosion and Kronk, you know, it's so this is where I am right now. And where did it all go wrong? Earlier that same day, smash cut to the uh, blank to the black screen in that same font as somewhere deep in the jungle. Yeah. That got a, that got a really good laugh. Out yeah, of me. 
Um, one joke that I really like that I feel like um, sort of matches the uh, we know this doesn't make sense, but we're doing it anyways. Tone was later on in the film, and Rudy's like, "Oh no, I forgot. They're about to elect Isma Emperor." And Kronk's like, "I never knew that was an elective office." <laughs> I always thought. I, I just I immediately thought of the Monty Python bit. You don't vote for kings. Yeah, yeah, that comes to mind. Um, what did you think of Birdwell in this film? Birdwell, um, yeah, she was she was a fun character. Yeah. Sort of the sort of a standard plot of, you know, the rival group and then the leaders kind of fall in love and then they don't and then they do again. Sort of that standard bit, but she just again, she's just so um she's so British. Yeah. And it, it it's very weird to see in the middle of Peru, but then again, you know, David Spade's a llama. This is where Yeah. The, the, uh, the curve of silliness that we're looking for here. But yeah, she was, you know, very good at her job. And, you know, and I, I love that not even Kronk knows her first name. Yeah. <laughs> and most of the characters, except for Kronk, Kronk's the only character I think that has a last name in this franchise. Actually, did, did we actually hear I don't think, his I don't think they say name? I don't think they say his last name in the movie, but um, his last name is revealed in the series at one point. His last name is Peppy Crankinitz. His name is Cronker Peppy Crankinitz. Ah. And also he's Inca and Jewish. Yes. <laughs> Just seeing that bit in the wedding in the wedding um, in the wedding uh, dream fantasy brief snippet. Yeah, and just like crunching the glass just Oh, okay. Yeah, and they recently, um, for Jewish New Year, I think, um, on the Disney Twitter account, they posted a picture of Kronk. So if, in, if nothing else in this movie is canon, I guess the fact that Kronk is Jewish is canon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as much as anything, in, like, the continuity in these things is flexible anyways. Pretty much, yeah. The, that's probably the strength of the Emperor's New Groove franchise, is that it's so cartoony that all of the bits that don't make sense just make it all the fun. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about Cusco's portrayal in this movie? I gotta be honest, Cusco felt kind of tacked on. He, he um, it, it wasn't really until the end where it was just like the perfect use of Cusco, but until then he kind of struck me as like uh, proto-Deadpool almost. Yeah. But just not quite as funny as the first movie yeah. when he was doing it. Yeah, I can see that. Although <laughs> there was a bit where they they redid the whole, you know, uh, stop the film with the red marker and circle around everything. Yeah. I made the, <laughs> I made the joke here of uh, let's see, uh, Cusco, YouTube clickbait thumbnail artist. <laughs> I think I've seen. I might have seen that as a YouTube thumbnail at one point. That scene, but I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember what the what the topic was. It was probably something like best emperor's new groove gags or worst emperor's new groove gags or something like that. Yeah, probably. Um, what did you think about the skateboarding and breakdancing old people? Is there any other way to do funny old people? <laughs> yeah. The whole. The whole Fountain of Youth uh, uh, subplot, the fake Fountain of Youth bit, uh, I had just watched um, 
the last episode of DuckTales today, so the Fountain of Youth is I still kind of bubbling that, in my mind. Um, last or this past week, yeah. I know what you're talking about. And yeah, the, good episode. And I, I guess I'm just on a fountain of fountain of youth kick because that was a big plot point here. And I was thinking, okay, are we gonna do the fountain of youth or is this just a, a fake potion thing? And then we go fake potion thing. Yeah. And I, I, now I'm just wondering what the fountain of youth, since that is such a Spanish uh, legend about um, uh, the Americas, I'm wondering what it would be like if the Emperor's New Group did there's it. There's an like, episode what would it like? TV show where Isma collects from a fountain of youth that turns her into a teenager voiced by Gray Griffin. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's called... Yeah, I, I, gotta, I gotta check that out then. Yeah. Um, and... <laughs> um, one thing I noticed, and this is something that, like, I could understand if some people might be bothered by it. It doesn't bother me as much. Um... This movie has a lot more pop culture references to other stuff than I feel like the first movie had. Yep. Like, there's that whole dance sequence thing, the Earth, Wind, and Fire, where it's nothing but pop culture references. Actually, it, it kind of surprised me that it took them that long to actually use Let's Groove Tonight in an Emperor's New Groove thing that wasn't a trailer. Yeah, I think... The reason why is it's really rare for a Walt Disney Animated Studios film to use um, popular music like Racket Ralph has, um, Zootopia has, Chicken Little has, but it's not normal. So I think that might be why they only used it in the trailer and didn't use it in the actual movie until the sequel. Yeah, and even with Disney, they like to do their own in-house uh, music, so that's why Sia got... Um, uh, hired to write Try Everything for Zootopia, why um, uh, When Can I See You Again was written for Wreck-It Ralph. They don't really license yeah. other uh, uh, other songs all that much. Yeah, they don't. So that's probably why. Um, one thing I'll say about the dance sequence with all the pop culture references, this is the mm -hmm. only place I think I've seen a Lady in the Tramp reference turn into an alien reference. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's they're eating the pill bugs and then well it grab you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if And hey, by Disney. <laughs> I don't know if that was supposed to be an alien reference or not, but that's what I my I instantly thought of when that happened. Well, you know pill bug kinda looks like a xenomorph if you squint at it and it's moving like a face ogre. So, you know, makes sense. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the sort of Faulty Towers climax of the film, where they're all pretending to be all these people? <laughs> oh, that was a delightful train wreck of, um, of lies just kind of colliding. Because you know they're going to do the Liar Revealed joke, so they just... Uh, not the Liar Revealed joke, they're going to do the whole Liar Revealed cliche. Yeah. And, you know, that's all played out, so they... I can just imagine the writer's room being, okay, if we're going to do this, let's freaking do this. Let's just go with everything colliding at Mudka's Meat Hut. Just everything. Turn up the heat and then cheese explode. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I like to, I'd like to say that even though she's not really in it much, she wasn't really in the first movie much, mm -hmm. um, a highlight of the whole franchise for me really is um, Winnie Malick's performance as Keisha. 
as Chita. Chita. Right. Yeah, and nowadays I can't. Whenever I hear it now, I think of I think of Ida from the Owl House, but still haven't seen Owl House. Oh, it's really, it looks pretty it's good. Really though. good. Um, but like, like when she's like, "I'll just wait here," like the same person. That makes I always thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see what other stuff. Oh yeah, so uh, let, let's go to the um, uh, back to the Scoutmaster. Yeah, the whole battle of the, of the Chipmunk Troop. Um, at the beginning, when they're doing the aquatic uh, dance, you know the standard. You know they're prim and proper, and they're just going in chaos like a bunch of kids. So yeah, those those kind. Of, and they did the huge cannonball. I'm um, I like to swim. I'm a bit of a bigger guy, so I pride myself on doing like this wave pool effect whenever I do a cannonball. Yeah. And they're just enormous cartoonish tidal wave. It's just, yeah, nice. Polite golf clap. <laughs> yeah. And I really like, for some reason, one of the judges on there just had this voice that really, I really thought was funny. He was like, and the winner is Birdwell. <laughs> just the classic uh, snooty yeah. uh, British voice. But not quite as snooty as... Uh, Tracy Olman voice yeah <laughs> um another thing that i noticed about this film is yzma's a cat woman yes <laughs> like she's not a cat she's a full cat woman and they kind of play with that because you see her um the telescope that she's spying on Kronk with yeah. go back into this box this little cat-sized box that you think okay she's still a cat but then you go in and she's tunneled down all of these rooms inside because you know cartoon logic and there she is with like all the all the veins and then like the cat her, her headdress even kind of looks like cat yeah. ears at first yeah that's one thing that i they i don't think they they couldn't do in the tv series because of budget reasons but in every scene in the first movie she has a different outfit so it yes. makes sense that in this movie though they don't do it in every scene she has a different outfit than all the outfits she had in the first movie. Uh, and Yzma was inspired by the example of Queen Amidala of Naboo. Every ridiculous costume change. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the part of me would have thinks it might have been a little bit funnier if he was just still a cat and bossing Kroak around as a cat. That would have been kind of fun, but it would have been a little tricky to uh I, I don't know it feels because with um with Yzma at the beginning she's trying to convince Kronk that she's changed yeah so I feel like it would have landed a little better if um we got a scene of her where she's still a cat but then she drinks the potion and becomes uh cat lady Yzma and and you could establish that you know this is her new lab. It's not as good as the first lab, so that so she only transforms so much. Yeah. Um. And I, it it could have helped land that a bit better. Um. And I'm saying and a lot. Um. Don't worry. I'm kind of umming and eyeing a bit. I'm still a little new to this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I'm this is my third episode, and I'm still new to it. Um. Okay. 
I noted, um, what did you think of John Mahoney, the late John Mahoney's performance? Oh, John Mahoney. Oh, I love listening to him. He's it, It's such a treat to have John Mahoney in um, a Disney movie again because he was in Atlantis, one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he, he's very good at playing a curmudgeonly character, but still have them have like a warmth to him. He's like, and that's why they probably got him to play Poppy because he was such, he's so good at playing this gruff, but really caring uh, sort of grandfather-like figure. Yeah. Um, what do you, well, what other stuff do you have in your notes? I'll basically ask you. Uh, let's see. Uh, there was uh, the bit with the raisin bread. Yeah. Uh, uh, the two of them trying to make the raising bread. There were a couple of bits where they're, you know, fighting over thing, uh, fighting over the raisins and the eggs. And there's a bit where Kronk picks up a broom and just goes into like full samurai two hands and just, just tries to straight up just lay her out with the broom. Just holy crap, Kronk. Yeah. Do not pick a fight with Kronk. <laughs> Don't pick a fight with Kronk. Never. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> the bit where they're on the bridge and the moon's right behind them. It's the perfect romantic moment. And they part hands. It's very tender. And the Kronk just falls off the cliff. Yeah. Just, yep, that's Kronk. <laughs> what do you think of, of Bunny Yzma? Bunny Yzma. Well, she was right. They were It's adorable. And they couldn't lay a finger on her. And she did get her escape route, just with an eagle. <laughs> and I just love how she's running away after being shown up by Kronk, just saying, you know, everything's a lie. And so she's running off through all these shenanigans. And the people that are chasing her down, half a dozen old people. Yeah. Oh, have mercy. <laughs> and and huh? kind of going... Going back to that and just hearing her say all of these, you know, uh, transparently um, uh, self-serving and egotistical things while trying to run for office uh, for as emperor. And I'm just saying, uh, but did people actually think this was kind of unrealistic back in the day? <laughs> Politicians would never say that and actually have a chance of getting elected. Yeah, when I saw that scene most recently, I was like, man, this movie predicted the 2016 election. <laughs> I, I got to look up later and see how many of these guys uh, went on to write for The Simpsons. Because I'm just like, this is like Simpsons level prophetic. <laughs> yeah. Um, Another thing I really liked about the movie was um, this is the one of the only, if not the only, um, direct video sequels to get the entire voice cast back. I think one of the kids is a different voice actor, but everyone else is the same from the first movie. Yeah, everyone was back, and most everybody was still really funny. Yeah. And they, and with the exception of David Spade, they got everybody back eventually by season two of the TV series as well, pretty much. Everyone who was alive, they couldn't get done. Fiedler back for the TV series, unfortunately. May he rest in peace. Yeah. Although, 
I, I figure since uh, when did the show come out? Around 2007, 2008? 2006, the, the January after this movie came out. Ah. So this is the rare opportunity where they had a series coming out and Disney anime and Disney tune actually put out a movie that wasn't a pilot for the upcoming TV show. That's actually kind of interesting. Yeah. And it kind of feels like one really when you think about, it, cause it's a flashback within a flashback and a series of like two or three different stories. Yeah. That, that was kind of a puzzling thing in my notes of just like, so we're flashing back to flashing back and then going back to the flashback and then another flashback. Yeah. Wave hi to Leo on your way over, just uh, him spinning around in the wall. <laughs> yeah, and the interesting thing was, I'm pretty sure these two movie, this movie and the TV show were done by completely different people because there's a lot of confusing people. May, people um, confuse themselves all the time trying to figure out how this and the show connect, though I have some theories, but mm-hmm. I could do a whole episode on that if I wanted to, I guess. Um, oh yeah, go for it. Um, I, I'm not one to judge. I have I have uh, plenty of theories and hot takes for days about the about the things I enjoy. <laughs> um, another thing I noticed was the um, Kronk and Birdwell finishing each other's sentences is kind of a uh, tropey thing. A little bit. Yeah, but it's not like. I don't think they do it too much. Yeah, I, throughout that, I was just trying to resist making the obvious frozen joke to myself. Just like, I, I come on. At the end, when I was <laughs> when 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 the poppy says they're finishing each other's sentences, you know what that means? When he said right, right as he said you're finishing each other, I said sandwiches. <laughs> Must resist frozen joke. I feel like they would finish each other's sandwiches though. Oh, yeah. And then get a pill bug squished on their face. <laughs> yeah. um, anything else you want to talk about from the movie that you enjoyed or any odd takes or anything, I guess? Um, yeah, Cusco just really gets the best entrances. Just yeah. finally his last big gag of the movie, and it was his funniest. And just like, thank you. Where were you throughout the movie? Yeah. it And... The fact that, you know, they're like, where's Cusco? When, you know, at the beginning of the first movie, you're kind of like, eh. I mean, I like Cusco as a character, but I can understand some people um, might think he's a bit annoying because, you know, even after he changes, he still has very much has a big ego. Yeah, kind of. Well, honestly, that, that just speaks to, you know, natural um, human behavior. Like, you you're not going to learn your lesson and then just be perfect for the rest of your life. Oh, no, that's my argument, too. But a lot of people, because in the TV show, he kind of he kind of goes in between how he's like in the movie and in between how he's like in this, where he's still kind of a jerk mm-hmm. um, who talks about how great he is all the time, but he isn't, like, destroying people's houses all the time or anything like he is in the first movie. And a lot of people, right. oh, he didn't learn his lesson at all. And I'm like, he learned his lesson. It's just subtler than you wanted it to be. Right. And subtlety in a big, crazy, chaotic cartoon movie like this is, you know, much appreciated. Yeah. So, you got anything else to say? (laughs) Only that the true Kronk was the friends that we made along the way.
Okay. Just all of all of the people coming together at the end, just like it, it's equal parts ridiculous and heartwarming, and it's just like sort of the perfect note to end the movie on. Yeah. Do you have anything you would like to plug? Uh, just my Twitter um, at dgill2295. I yell at Disney movies a lot, and um, and I actually just started up uploading a couple of videos to my YouTube channel. No reviews just yet. Hang in there for those. Um, but I'm uploading um, videos of me having some fun in Overwatch. Cool. Uh, yes, I'm one of the eight people that still plays Overwatch in this day and age. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, feel free to give me a follow, a like, and thank you very much for having me on the show. This was really fun. Thank you, and you can find me at my Twitter, at Michael Hirsch. You can also find this podcast at Podcast T-E-N-P. I also make videos on YouTube, on Fireblast Studios, where I make silly cartoons. And also, Watch them. They're very good. They're very good silly cartoons. Watch them. Including some from another podcast that find the best of Escape from Walt Disney, which is where I animate some of Tony Goldmark's podcast. Some clips from that. And on my The Emperor's New Podcast channel, you can find previews of this podcast. So thank you for joining me, Gail, and thank I you for having me. And thank you all for listening. Cronked out. What's his name?